morning. Uh, what happened on that morning, that Easter morning? Can we believe that Jesus is alive? And uh, the evidence is good, and there's a lot more evidence that we could be considering. I'm going to be having a look into uh, John chapter 20 and another part of the Bible just for about 10 minutes now. Um, if you wanted to follow, uh, we're on page 1089, and then we'll be going somewhere else. So we've been looking at the way that we can know that something is true. From the evidence, the body was gone. There was no body. No one could ever produce a body. If they had been, no doubt somebody would have done, but they didn't. The body was gone, but the grave cloths weren't. And as uh, they were telling us, the grave cloths had, had uh, kilograms of, of, of the most expensive products you could buy, spices, were kind of, in, kind of infused into the, the grave cloths. They were very valuable. They were heavy uh, with the spicing. Um, there were eyewitnesses, as we've seen, Mary Magdalene and others. And then all kinds of other things happened. And people have looked into this. Books have been written. There's a, uh, a guy called Lee Strobel has written a book about the resurrection, the case for Christ. Uh, lots of people have written about it. You can, um, if you're interested in following, uh, go to a site called God New Evidence. Uh, Google that. You'll find a, a whole series of five-minute videos going through all the different uh, bits of evidence for the resurrection. But I want to look at some different evidence, actually some evidence that maybe all of us here has actually seen for yourself. Hmm, interesting. Could that be so? Possibly. You may have seen it for yourself, but you don't know it yet. And I'm thinking about the change in the disciples. You see, they changed. They were terrified on that first day. In fact, looking into John 20, if we carried on in the video, which I, I did think we were going to do, but that's okay, um, you'll see that on verse 19 it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together. The doors were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities. They were terrified. They were locked up. Uh, they, didn't, they weren't going to go out for as long as possible, hidden under their duvets or their Middle Eastern equivalent. They weren't going anyway. They were absolutely terrified. You know, they were so scared, they didn't even ask for the body of the Lord they loved. Do you remember when, some of you know the story of John the Baptist? Remember when John the Baptist was executed? His disciples came and asked Herod for the body. Not these 11. <laughs> oh, no. We're not going anywhere near the Roman authorities, thank you, because we're too terrified for that. They didn't even go. In fact, it was two Jewish uh, members of the Jewish leadership, a, a man called Josephus and another man called Nicodemus, who go to Pilate and ask for the body. But that's another story. So that's how Jesus ends up in one of those guys' tombs. But there they were a few weeks later out in Jerusalem telling everybody that Jesus was alive. They went all over the world. Suddenly they became bold. Suddenly they were transformed. They weren't scared anymore. Because if you read through John chapter 20, they all saw Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them and said, look, here I am. You can touch me. You can, you know, touch my hands. You remember the story and Thomas wasn't there and he's known as Doubting Thomas ever since. But it's a bit unfair on him, I think. Anyway, you know the story. They were transformed. They were changed. And they kept it up for the whole of their lives. And some of them, uh, most of them, as far as we know, according to Christian tradition, were killed for that truth because they said Jesus was alive and Jesus was their Lord. 
And because Jesus was their Lord and King, then no one else could be. And if you said that Jesus was Lord or anyone else was Lord in the Roman Empire, that was a bit of a problem because there was only one Lord and that was Caesar. That's why they ended up being killed, most of them. Charles Colson, some of you may remember him, the quote coming up from him on the screen, I think. Charles Colson, he was one of the uh, Watergate conspiracies. Remember, Watergate in the 1970s was a huge scandal in America. It's a massive cover-up. President Nixon had bugged um, various things and, and some tapes were stolen. It became a very big, big deal. And that led to the fall of, of President Nixon in 1972-73. Well, Charles Colson was one of the key conspirators And he said this. He later became a Christian, actually. And he said this. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. We haven't got it. I'll read it. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. And then he goes on to say, Watergate, that great scandal in the 70s, of which he was a part, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. (laughs) Three weeks, it was out. Thanks to uh, those two journalists at the... um Washington Post. You're, uh, you're telling this film, All the President's Men, is based on it. You're telling me, says Colson, 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. See, knowing that Jesus was alive actually changed them. But there was more to it. It wasn't just that they knew he was alive, they knew he was alive with them. Because as we read later in John 20, on that first day of the week where they were all hidden, you know, locked up for fear of the Jews, and Jesus came and stood among them, he said something to them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. He made a promise to them. And that took them back to what he'd been saying to them just a couple of days earlier. We've been studying uh, the Gospels. Oh, there are quotes up there now, but that's okay. You can stay there. Um, the, uh, he'd been telling his uh, disciples a few days before, uh, over supper, You read it in John 14, 15, and 16, and 17. He was kind of briefing them, and he'd been telling them that I'm going to be going away. You're going to lose me. It's going to be tough, he says, but I'm going to send someone like me for you. The Holy Spirit, he says, is going to come. In fact, the Holy Spirit in in the rest of the Bible is sometimes called the Spirit of Jesus. And Jesus promised his disciples that although he was going, although he was going to die, he was going to rise and he would be with them in a new way by the Holy Spirit. That's what changed them. Actually, that's who changed them. Jesus changed them. And you know what? He still does that. He is alive Not just as a fact that the tomb was empty, but alive as someone to know, someone to love, someone to honor as king, someone to give my life to. And that's what you've probably seen in yourself, if you're a Christian, or in other people, if you're not yet a Christian. Jesus alive and changing someone's life. It's not just because he's alive, but it's because his life overflows into them. And they're different. Let me tell you a story. 
this week. In our church family, we lost someone, someone very special, great friend of mine, a man called Martin. And since October 2016, Martin and his wife Wendy had been living with a, a, a diagnosis since a tumor appeared in his brain. And they went on that journey towards the uh, outcome of that illness, unless God had done something, we asked him to, but he acted in other ways. He intervened in other ways. He didn't bring total physical healing. And many of us have journeyed with Martin and Wendy through this uh, 17-month journey. I have, and I've seen Jesus do amazing things in them and with them. So quite a few of the rest of us, haven't we? Wendy has said at different times, she said, I I don't know how I'm doing this. She said, "Uh, it's because people have been praying for me. It's not just that people were praying, it's because Jesus was answering those prayers and helping her go through that. She found resources that she didn't expect to find. Jesus was at work. Now, you may have seen this kind of change in someone. Maybe it's been sudden or gradual. Maybe it's been dramatic. But it's just as real. It's evidence that Jesus is alive. And baptism, what we're going to do in a moment or two, is a picture of how this life from Jesus comes to people like us. Uh, And I want to read a few verses. If you've got a Bible nearby, it might come up on the screen. Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Remember, this is just a kind of explanation of how this new life from Jesus comes to us. And we're going to begin reading just after the beginning of verse 2. And the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, is writing a letter to Christians. So he's talking about Christians and he says, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with or might be rendered powerless, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Talking about Christians, those who have trusted themselves to Jesus, it says they've died. We've died to sin. What does that mean? Well, it's about our old way. You know, we've got this tendency to rebel against God. For our lives to be all about me. (laughs) And that's why we don't accept the evidence so often. The evidence is pretty plain, but we don't accept it. Why don't we accept it? Because we don't want to. Oh, many years ago, back in this dear city of ours, Southampton... Um, back in the 80s, I remember I was working with students at the time, and I just spent a couple of hours in a discussion with a student. I think it was the old Connaught Hall. Is Connaught Hall still a thing, or is that... Yeah, it's still there. Okay. I think it was Connaught Hall. And um, 
you know, we'd been talking, he'd been asking loads of questions, you know, anything, and it had gone on for quite a long time. Every time I tried to answer the question, or this, he came up with another one. <laughs> it went on for far too long. Really, we should have gone down the pub and had a drink or something. But anyway, we, we carried on talking away. And in the end, I think because he probably did want to go down the pub and have a drink or whatever, he said to me, look, he said, it's no good. He said, it's no good. You know, uh, whatever you say to me, he said, I'm not going to accept it. He said, because I'm an RAF scholarship student, and if I give my life to God, he might want me to do something other than going in the RAF, which is what I really want to do. I thought, well, that's honest, at least. Yeah, that are wrong. Why would God want him not to go into the RAF? I don't know. But the thing is, he wanted to be in control of his life. And so no amount of arguments and evidence would, would convince him, because actually he wanted his life in his hands, and he didn't want to give it into God's hands. It's kind of, that's what the Bible calls sin. And, you know, that can lead to all kinds of other trouble in our lives, that kind of thing, you know, the more kind of what we often think of sins. But it comes from that attitude of, I want what I want, really. We don't believe because we don't want to. Well, you see, Jesus died to change that, it says. here. He died to make it possible for us to give our lives to God. As we repent, as we change our minds about this whole business of who's going to, whether we're going to let God rule our life, whether actually we've done a particularly good job of running it ourselves, perhaps it's time we let God have a kind of a way in, if we're really honest. We repent, we know we've done wrong, we come to God in belief and trust. And you know, when that happens, we connect with Jesus in his resurrection. It says here, we live a new life. We have a new center, a new direction, a new reason to live. Now, there's a lot more in Romans 6 than that, but that at least is there. You see, it says here that Jesus died for my sins. That they're buried, that he dealt with them. That he's been raised again to a new life, and I'm with him in that new life, it says, as I believe in him. So our sinful, me-first kind of life dies with Jesus when we repent and when we trust him, and we're raised and alive with him spiritually, alive to God. And we still get tempted. There's still a fight on. If you know any Christians, you'll know that they're not perfect. If you think they are, they've been lying to you or they've been acting pretty well. No, but we come at it from a different place because we're in Christ. It says we're united with Jesus. He's our Lord. His life has become our life. And we're going to live with him. John tells us in his book, chapter 20, verse 31, back in John 20, he says why he wrote the book. He says, I wrote this book that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, God's promised king, the Son of God. And it says, he says, and that believing you might have life in his name. There's that first thing, that you might know that Jesus is the King, the Son of God. That's, if you like, the evidence. That's the facts, the thing that you kind of come to see is true. But you see, there's more, that in believing you have life. Something comes into our lives. Jesus can come into our lives and change us. And that's when the change comes. We have life in his name. And baptism pictures that very powerfully. That's why in that Romans 6, it says we were baptized into Christ. And, and it's almost, you know, Paul, when he writes, he's saying, look, when you be, become a believer, you know, the, it's like you're connected with Jesus. So that when you're baptized, it's a, like a symbol of how you believed. 
And uh, when people, you'll hear in a moment or two, the story of how Lauren has come to believe in her life. And the baptism, this isn't going to make her a Christian, but because she's come to believe, this is a symbol, it's a sign. You know, you you make a commitment, uh, like when you get married, uh, and, you know, you make the commitment, and there's a sign, there's a ring, there's a covenant, and baptism is that kind of sign today. So, we're going to sing a song.